Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Jesus asked the question, Who do you say that I am? It's a question that all of us must grapple with in our own lives. Who do we believe Jesus to be? And what role does He play in our lives? It is a personal journey to come to a decision about who Jesus is for you. But the mistake I see made so often is that people confuse personal with solo or solitary or individual, and they leave or stay away from the community of faith and try to discern all that God is doing all alone. That is a difficult journey to be on. To read through the Gospels, you'll see a more complete or fuller description of all this, but it will point you toward this idea that a personal, this is a personal decision made with a community of people who have decided or are deciding to be followers of Jesus. This passage itself, you don't have to read the whole Gospels. You can see some clues just in this passage about how this important part of life is community, is in the community of faith. First of all, this is happening in a group. Jesus chooses a group of disciples to travel with, to do his teaching, to do his ministry. It's happening in a group situation. That should be a clue to us. But also notice before he asked them individually, who do you say that I am? He asked them, what are others saying? We heard it in those very first couple of verses we read. They get to Caesarea Philippi and he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Before Jesus goes to ask them to say something individually, he says, what have you heard? What have you learned? What are others saying? What has the community of faith said that you know about? But then there's even a further clue further down in the passage when Jesus says to Peter, upon you, the rock, I'm going to build my church. Why build a church if we didn't need each other? There would be no need for Jesus to build a church unless he knew that we do best in a community of faith, that we grow and flourish and understand and go deeper in faith best when we do it with others. 
that when we come together, we can support and encourage one another, that we can learn together, we can learn from each other, we can hear the faith testimonies of other people and grow in our own faith because we can see more broadly the work of God and all the different ways that God can work in a person's life. So the community of faith becomes very important. It becomes clear that to be followers of Christ is to be a part of a larger faith community. Christian and church go together. This idea that I'm going to do it by myself is a faulty idea and it makes for a very difficult journey. But I want to explore the answers that the disciples give when Jesus says, who do others say that I am? I want to look at that a little further because it reveals to us the tendency we often find in the people of faith. And it is this, we look backwards. Too often we look backwards. When Jesus says, who do some say that I am? They all look backwards at first. Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, they're naming prophets from former days. You can even see it in the epic story where God's leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years. Finally, Moses leading them out of slavery, of the land where they were confined, leading them onto the promised land. But ripples throughout that story as you read it is a theme that keeps emerging where people say, but wait a minute, let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. Oh, yes, we couldn't worship as we want. We were enslaved. We were confined. But at least we were familiar. We were kind of comfortable. At least we knew where the next meal was coming from. God is trying to lead them to the promised land where they might experience the fullness of life that God intends. And so often in that story, they're looking backwards. Have you had that experience where you're in a time of uncertainty? You're not sure where God is leading, and so you've looked backwards? Let's just go back. Let's just stay here. At least we were comfortable. It happens so easily, especially in times of uncertainty. Dr. Ron Heifetz, a professor at Harvard, talks about what it's like to live through times of uncertainty. In his writing, he distinguishes between two different kinds of change or two different kinds of challenges. He says there's one he calls technical. He said that's the kind of experience where you have a problem, you've had it before, you know what it is, or you've seen somebody else deal with it, you know the answer, you just have to implement it. He says there's another kind of change. He believes a lot of us are experiencing this now. He calls it adaptive change, where we're having trouble identifying what the problem is. We're uncomfortable. We know something's changing. We know there's some problems. We know things are not working the way they used to, but we're not sure what to do, and we don't know the answer, and we haven't seen it before. He says adaptive challenges cause us to change even as the circumstances are changing around us they're giving us an opportunity to learn and grow but he says it's very unsettling for people to deal with changes problems where the old answers don't work and they don't know what the new answers are yet 
Some people think that's the experience the United Methodist Church is having right now as a denomination trying to figure out how to be a global denomination as cultures and countries and societies and commitments change. We've not been here before. How are we going to move forward? Certainly the disciples are in that kind of situation. The old answers aren't right. It's not Elijah. It's not Jeremiah. It's not one of the prophets. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Not your great rabbi, your great prophet, you're wise in the ways of Torah. I think Peter was probably even surprised. Have you ever been surprised when you said something out loud and you didn't realize it till you said it? Peter's like that. He's often the first to respond, sometimes ill-advised answers. But this time, even though he blurts it out, he's right on target. Messiah, son of the living God. Out of this question and answer, this dialogue, this conversation comes a new insight, I think, to Peter and to all the disciples this rabbi that they're traveling with, this Jesus from Nazareth, is more than a rabbi, more than a teacher, more than their leader. God is doing something special in this one. Jesus of Nazareth becomes the Messiah or the Christ, the anointed one of God. Last week, we saw a testimony to faith. It came out of a situation of great distress where this woman shouting at Jesus that she needs help. Her daughter's being tormented. Jesus ignores her, but she persists and follows him. She kneels in front of him, and in a prayer or a plea, she continues this dialogue with him, believing that if she can connect with him, that her daughter can be healed. And sure enough, she is right. And the daughter is healed by the end of the conversation. That's one way a person comes to faith, connects with Jesus. Our story today has a very different one. There's no shouting. There's no screaming. There's no chasing after anyone. There's no kneeling. It's just a conversation, a dial question and an answer. And yet it's a testimony to faith. It's a new insight. It's a growth spurt for the disciples, if you will. They're understanding, or at least beginning to understand, that God is doing something more here than perhaps they first realized. Today we see the testimony come out of this discussion or dialogue, this question and answer. And what I want us to notice is how very different those testimonies to faith are. These people are connecting with Jesus, both of them, the story last week and the one this week, but on very different paths. So often Christians make the mistake when they have a powerful Christian experience to try to universalize that and say, everybody needs to have that experience. So if they came to faith at camp, they need everybody to go to camp. If they came to faith at a certain retreat, they want everyone to go. If they came to faith in a revival, they want everybody to have the revival. 
If it happened to them by reading a book, then everybody's got to read that book. Everyone's got to do it their way because their experience was so important to them. But when you read through the scriptures, you realize God works in a lot of different ways. People come to Christ on very different pathways. Some of us born into the church, brought to the building by our parents or grandparents before we can even remember we were just always here. That's my story. But how terrible would it be if I met someone who had no church experience? And I said, oh, you got to be there from the beginning to really get it, to really be in the in group. You've got to do it like I did it. That would be a travesty. But too often we see Christians making that mistake, requiring that somebody come to faith just the way they did. Lots of different ways for people to come to faith, to grow in faith, to come to know Jesus as Christ, Messiah, the anointed one of God. We want to help anybody and everybody, wherever they are on their journey, whatever that's looked like, continue on that faith journey. Come to connect with Jesus in whatever ways they can connect with Christ really important to notice in this story these different pathways but also this all the earlier answers the disciples give were looking backward peter's answer is looking forward you'll notice the blessing comes right after jesus says messiah son of the living god jesus answer jesus question and peter's answer looks to the future it's not just a god of the past it's son of the living God, the God who's leading us into the future. It's a young fellow I know here in the congregation. It was about a year ago. I had a sermon on prayer and discernment. And then I left, as I always do, went out and stood in the hallway. And he waited in line. Then he stopped by and he said, I'm really struggling with what direction to go. I knew him. I knew he was trained in one professional arena. He was working in a different one, but neither felt quite right. And so we talked for a few moments in the hallway, and he said, I'm going to keep working on this, and went on his way. And then a few months later, he contacted me and said, I think God's leading me in a whole new direction. I'm going to be able to use some of these talents and skills that I have, but I'm going into a whole nother arena. He wasn't sure how it was going to work out but he felt sure that God was leading him to take those steps into the future. And tell you about another fellow who was middle-aged. He was in the sports world. He had been a very successful coach on different levels, but something wasn't quite right. He was beginning to feel restless in his midlife. He came and talked to me. We had a series of discussions. He talked to some other people. And finally, he decided, even though he wasn't at the traditional retirement age, that he was retiring from coaching. But he spent some time watching and waiting. He continued to pray. And then an opportunity opened up where he could use his coaching, but also use his faith in a new way. There was an organization that hired him to go from school to school to help coaches think about how they were coaching to make sure they were treating young people right to see if 
they had their own life in order so that they would be good leaders if they were people of faith to see how they might use their faith to enhance their leadership of these young men and women they were coaching. He felt like God was leading him. He wasn't sure where the path was going, but he stepped out in faith. I believe he was looking forward. I believe if you talk to him today, he would say, I've I've been blessed. I've been able to help these other people, but it's been a blessing to me to be on this new pathway. I could tell you of a woman who had been very successful in the corporate world, but something was missing she was a member of my church in another town and she began to tell me you know there's something more there's something more from all eyes outside you think that she was getting it all done that she was so successful that surely she would be happy with what was going on but she knew inside something was missing a few months later we had an opening up at the church and she said can I apply for that I said you want to shift from what you're doing in the corporate world and that salary scale to this salary scale doing this and she said I think I do so she applied and was interviewed and got the job she would tell you it's the most meaningful work she's done in her whole life or there was the woman who was in her 60s she had been a model citizen her whole life she'd raised a family been a homemaker volunteered at church and in the schools and in the community and then she began to wonder if maybe she could go to seminary could god be calling her to go to seminary she said it just kept coming up in her quiet time in her prayer time that felt like god was nudging her to go back to school so without telling anyone she applied she wasn't confident that she would be accepted she wasn't confident that she could do the work but she applied and weeks later she got a notice that she had been accepted now came the moment of decision because she had not told her friends and family what she was thinking about how would they respond some were delighted and supported her and celebrated with her but others were dismayed and said at your age are you sure you can do the work <clears throat> are you sure you should go to seminary could god be calling you well she did go and she could do the work and she did the work and she graduated she became an ordained United Methodist pastor and served the church for another 15 years. I would say that in all these situations, these people were being blessed by looking to the future, looking forward, asking, what does God have for me now? Or what does God have for me next? <clears throat> They were being blessed by their willingness to listen for God and then trust and follow the promptings of God wherever that may lead. Where is God leading you? The good news I want us to 
see and hear this morning is through the questions and the answers, there comes the blessing. Matthew tells us about it in verse 17, right after Peter says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, Matthew records, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Have you ever had questions bubble up? Sometimes they come from inside of us. Sometimes somebody else raises the question. They come from outside. Sometimes our life is in turmoil and turbulence when these kind of questions come. But sometimes our lives are smooth and placid and everything is fine. And yet the questions still come. Sometimes when these kind of questions come, we're eager to engage and seek out where God might be leading us. Other times we are resistant and reluctant and try to ignore the question. Peter is a great example for us, at least for most of us, because we don't listen all the time. Neither did Peter. We don't get it right all the time. Neither did Peter. But on this one, he's on it. He's right on track. He's on target. He gets the right answer this time. And I think he gets it right because in this experience, he's not looking back. He's looking forward. He's looking for where is Jesus going? What is God doing? Where is God leading us? He senses this prompting of God and verbalizes it. Messiah, Son of the living God. This passage reveals to us that looking to the future is a good way to discern where God is working. Peter is looking to the future when he says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus, too, is looking to the future, is he not, when he says, you are Peter, the rock upon which I will build my church. Are you looking forward? Are you believing God will lead you into the future? I've left a couple of questions there at the bottom of your outline for you to ponder, maybe take with you this week. Are you looking for God to lead you into the future? Are you discerning within a community of faith? The texts are clear. We do faith best in a community, and we do best when we're expecting God to lead us into the future. May it be so for us all. Amen. And thanks be to God.